I'm Kirsty Wiebeck and this is my podcast, The Best, where each episode I'll tackle a different topic or two and present to you the best of that topic. Sound good? Great, because there's no plan B. I'll be presenting objective truths after much research and as such, no further correspondence will be entered into. Got it? Got it. I should also clarify that by much research, I actually mean Mostly anecdotal personal research, but surely in this day and age, that's enough. Evidence is boring. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you're keeping well, keeping your distance and keeping secrets. As long as they're not bad secrets, just keep the good ones. I've been watching Dead to Me on Netflix and wowee, what an excellent case study into not keeping bad ones. There's my pop culture recommendation for the episode. Dead to Me is a good series if you want a bit of escapism and a lot of Christina Applegate. What a legend. She's really come of age, hasn't she? If you're someone who easily gets stressed out by a tangled web of lies, then this one's definitely not for you. And may I recommend Bluey instead? How did I go so long without knowing anything about Bluey? Like, it was not on my radar at all. But I've just gotten into it and I love it. I have no idea how it had eluded me for so long, but what a clever, hilarious and adorable television series it is. And the extra bonus is you can watch it with your kids. Get around it. I love it. I'm mad for it. In other news, uh, just before I went to record today, I saw the Facebook page for Concrete Playground had released an article. And that article was in response to Arnott's publishing their recipe for Monte Carlo biscuits, right? So far, so good. Sounds great. Now, I couldn't help but notice Concrete Playground referred to the Monte Carlo as the second best biscuit in the Arnott's Assorted Cream Packet. They obviously haven't listened to episode three or they would have known that is patently incorrect. I cannot stress it enough. That is very incorrect information. The Monte Carlo is definitely number one. I can't wait for their article professing that King Kong song is ABBA's best release. Haven't heard of it? My point exactly. I literally googled the most obscure ABBA songs to make that reference. I have never heard of King Kong song. Sounds awful. Can't wait to give it a spin later on. Other than wildly battling online publications over the best Arnott's assorted cream biscuit, I'm still very much in isolation mode over here. It's been over a week since we've been allowed to have a few guests over in Victoria, but I'm still laying low, keeping my hands clean, not licking anything. Not licking things is a good way to live your life, even outside pandemics, I reckon, but I'm taking it particularly seriously at the moment. I've got a haircut booked in for next week, despite the fact my hair's in a position at the moment where it could probably cut itself. It spiralled so far out of control that it's sentient, like I had to set up a separate Netflix account for it. Very excited about that outing and very nervous for my excellent barber who will be treated to a very long TED talk as I have been starved for face-to-face human contact. Have you found yourself doing that yet? Just going for it whenever you see someone new? I just ramble. 
I'm not, like, I don't even notice I'm doing it, but I'm just so overjoyed that I'm talking to somebody outside of my household, which is my partner and my cat, but mostly my cat because my partner's been going to work. So when I come across somebody that I know, say just out on the street, I'll just find myself just rambling and just pouring out every single bit of information that I can possibly imagine to give them. I've got a good example, actually, of how much conversation has degenerated for some people lately. And uh, this isn't a diss story, right, because I'm one of the worst offenders. I'm very happy to admit that. But I went to pick up some takeaway last week, and when I arrived, they asked for my name, right? Makes sense. Fair enough. So I said Weebeck because it's the truth, and it's also the name I ordered the food under. Now, another two men were leaving with their food and one of them said, hey, did you say Weber? And I said, no. And his mate goes, she said Weebeck. And he said, oh, I thought you said Weber and I'm a Weber. Then we all looked at each other for way too long before I laughed uncomfortably and said, huh, we're almost related. And then they left. No, we're not. We're not even remotely almost related. Weber also isn't that uncommon. (laughs) I'd imagine in pre-COVID times, he would never have felt such elation at potentially bumping into someone who shares his surname. Like, I could. I could be excited. It'd be perfectly acceptable for me to go, did you just say Weebeck? It's an obscure name. I mean, if if your name's Jones or Brown, you can't be getting all excited when you stumble across somebody else with that surname. But for me, Weebeck's definitely noteworthy. I played basketball when I was growing up and at the start of each game, we had to sign the score sheet. One day I went to sign it and my first initial and surname had been put under the wrong team. So I crossed it out, right? Logical, that's what you need to do. Then I went to add it to the bottom of my team's list, only to see that Kay Weebeck was there too. So as I went to sign next to my name, a girl from the other team came up and said, hey, why'd you cross my name out? And it turns out her name was Kelly Weebeck. Like, what are the odds of that? Our name's weird enough that I think about that story all the time, and now I'm sharing it with you. And I think that's totally fine when your surname's Weebeck. I just don't think you'd be allowed to still be publicising that story if your name was A. Weber or B. Jones, you know? I want to make it clear again that I'm not complaining about my interaction with Mr. Weber. I was delighted to have had it. It was the most interesting thing that had happened to me since a pigeon shat in our kitchen two weeks before. What I'm saying is that I'm just looking forward to us all having things to talk about again. Won't that be nice when we can actually catch up with people and there's things to catch up with. I hope you've got some things to look forward to. One thing I know you're looking forward to is finding out what the best summer Olympic sport is. So let's jump straight into it. I've been very careful to specify that this episode is focusing on the summer Olympics because the winter Olympics are a whole different kettle of fish. Frozen fish at that. Yep, I'm your stepdad. I'm allowed to make jokes like that. As you'll already know, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics have been cancelled, much like Ellen. Well, rescheduled, I should say. 
the Olympics, not Ellen. We can now look forward to them kicking off in July 2021. I'm not a massive sports watcher. I'm not even a small sports watcher. I love watching basketball. I did that in a list voice, but that's actually the beginning and end of my extensive list of sports I like to watch. Like, that's it. Basketball, it'll lure me in every time. Everything else, nah, not into it. I don't know why, but I've always really enjoyed watching certain sports at the Olympics. They're coincidentally some of the sports I'll be taking a look at today. Now, here's a fun fact. At the first Olympic Games, only nine sports were contested. What's a bet they mostly involved running fast, throwing something and riding horses? In recent years, the Summer Olympics has included 28 sports and five additional ones were to be added at the 2020 Olympics. RIP 2020 Olympics. You'll be sorely missed, but we'll see you next year. Now, in Olympic terms, sport refers to all events sanctioned by an international sport federation. Boring. So aquatics is a summer Olympic sport, but within that there are six disciplines, including swimming, synchronised swimming, diving, water polo, open water swimming and high diving. It should be noted that high diving is actually a non-Olympic discipline as drugs aren't allowed at the Olympics. That is a good joke. Shut up, okay? It's high diving. All right, you had to be there. All right, you were there. I'll never say it again. I'm sorry. I've whittled the huge list of sports involved in the Summer Olympics down to a few that are truly, objectively and universally a sheer delight to watch. So obviously in order to condense the list, I've had to cast aside a bunch of boring monstrosities such as sailing, well, come on, golf, boring, rowing, rowing's fine, it's okay, Um, rugby, nah, we get enough coverage of rugby, Um, cycling track, whoa, I'm dizzy, get out of that velodrome. I'm serious, I'm stumbling around my lounge room. Like, they just go around and round and round. I've also ruled out fencing and archery. No thanks, I've already watched Game of Thrones. I've also crossed out the equestrian events. I just think they should leave the horses alone. And again, I've already watched Game of Thrones. I also took out boxing and shooting because yuck. All right, enough about the shit ones. Let's take a look at the real reason we're here, the good Olympic sports for spectators, okay? Summer Olympics, again, I cannot stress enough. Gymnastics. Gymnastics is a ripper to watch during the Summer Olympics. It's dangerous, fast, complicated, and it doesn't look like something that everyone can do. Like, that's something that I love about it. Whenever I'm watching the gymnastics during the Olympics, I'm like, whoa, how do they do that? You know, whenever I flick over to the rugby, I know how they're doing that. They're grabbing a ball and running and then diving on their mates, right? There's no mystery. There's no magic in that. But gymnastics, I'm like, oh, my God, where'd the leg go? You know, like it blows my mind constantly. You know how sprinting is obviously a really hard discipline, but there'd be heaps of people out there going, Oh, yeah. If I trained, I'd be able to do the 100-metre sprint too. Yeah. 
easy. It's just diet and exercise and stretching. I mean, they train for hours and hours a day. Like if I didn't have to have a full-time job and could just focus on running up and down a track all day, I'd, I'd be that good at it as well. I don't think that gymnastics has that same perceived simplicity and that's something I love about it. But we all know that even if we trained, if we attempted to do an aerial walkover on the beam, within five seconds, that beam would become a permanent part of our bodies. It'd be a disaster. We know that. In year eight PE, we had to complete a term of gymnastics, right? It was basically my absolute biggest nightmare. I couldn't do a forward roll. So I was in huge trouble from the get-go. I remember every night at home after dinner getting all these cushions out and trying to learn how to forward roll in the lounge. And I, I literally never got the hang of it. Like, I'm certain that I did permanent damage to my neck, but I'd get like halfway over and my face would be like smooshed into the cushions and I'd get like one leg like semi over and I'd sort of be stuck there for a bit before I rolled onto my side. Like it was potentially the most graceful thing that any member of the Weebeck family has ever witnessed. At the end of the term, we had to do a gymnastics floor routine in front of the whole class. So it went for five minutes and it was worth 50% of our whole grade for the term, right? 50%, that's half. I'm no mathematician, but I'm quite certain that that is half of it. Like that is a massive chunk to do a floor routine. For my offering, bearing in mind that I never got the hang of the forward roll, I ran around the gym with my arms out doing leaps every so often. Like I did this for five whole minutes. That is a really long time to glide and leap around the school gym, right? And every now and then I'd throw in a, a swift pivot. Like I'd pivot really quickly just so that no one could deny the level of complexity in my floor routine. My teacher and all of the other teachers in the faculty reached a unanimous agreement that there was no place for prancing in gymnastics and I got a D. Like, I couldn't believe it. I think it was the only D that I got in high school and I was, like, I was upset and I was furious. Like, I contested it. And I tried to claim that they hadn't specified that rhythmic gymnastics wasn't included, but they argued quite strongly that what I was doing <laughs> wasn't really rhythmic <laughs> gymnastics. Like, <laughs> I understand how ridiculous that is, obviously, as I'm saying it out loud. But the good news is you don't need to be able to put together a gymnastics floor routine ever again in life. So that was a massive waste of a speech about how disappointing my gymnastics skills were, Mrs Adams. Despite my absolutely abysmal foray into the world of gymnastics as a 14-year-old, Olympic gymnastics is a hot contender for best summer Olympic sport to watch. It's exciting, surprising, fast-moving, and not something you'd ordinarily see on television. You know, that's something that I love about it. It's not like... It's not like all year round there's gymnastics competitions on, unlike the rugby. Every four years it inspires me to learn how to do the splits for about three days before I remember that these stumpy legs weren't meant for that life.
and that is okay. Another hot contender is basketball for basically the same reasons. Like you obviously can watch basketball a lot outside of the Summer Olympics, but it's a real treat during them too. Super fast, exciting, and really hard to flick past. Like whenever I'm channel surfing and the basketball's on, I'm like, oh, I'll watch it for a minute. And then I'll just end up sitting there and watching the whole game. So engaging. Extra points for being so engaging. Basketball's never inspired me to learn how to do the splits. So, and that's good. I need to, I need to lay that dream to rest, I think. I'm going to throw artistic swimming in too, otherwise known as synchronized swimming. I, like, I didn't realize that it was called artistic swimming. Makes perfect sense. It's beautiful. It's artistic. I'm not surprised it's called that. I've just never heard it called that. It's unintentionally hilarious and highly skilled too. When I was growing up, we had a swimming pool and my sister and I would practice artistic swimming routines for hours at a time, like hours and hours at a time. And deep down, we both knew they weren't ever to be seen by the public, (laughs) but it was certainly a good way to spend a day. (laughs) I shouldn't call them artistic swimming routines. If footage of one of our attempts ever emerges, it will strongly discredit the sport. Like there was absolutely nothing glamorous about what either of us were doing out there. There are actually loads of really great Summer Olympic sports to watch. So this episode has killed me in a good way. Not in the way Nickelback does every time I hear one of their songs. Without further delay, let's get you off the edge of your seat and announce the winner. The best summer Olympic sport to watch year in, year out. It's only every four years, so goes to gymnastics. Yeah, congratulations, gymnastics. Thanks for reminding us every four years of the limitations of our own flexibility. Thanks for making us gasp on the couch as a gold medal contender nearly falls off the beam. Thanks for making us say, geez, they must be strong, repeatedly to our long-suffering partners who hate when the Olympics roll around. Great job. Great job, gymnastics. You've deserved that. The second topic I'm covering this week is small dogs. I had a couple requests from listeners to cover dogs, but I think it's far too great a subject area to cover as a monolith, so I've broken it down to small dogs this week. Firstly, to clarify so that we're all on the same page, a small dog is a dog that is not large. There are many different breeds of small dogs. Boston Terrier, Bichon Frise, I almost left that one out due to pronunciation limitations. The Border Terrier, the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, Havanese, Maltese Shih Tzu, just straight up Shih Tzu, just straight up Maltese, although people don't seem to just let them do that by themselves these days, do they? Miniature Schnauzers, French Bulldogs, Pugs, Jack Russell Terriers, Yorkshire Terriers, Chihuahuas, Fox Terriers, Corgis, Sausage Dogs, Basset Hounds. 
the list goes on and on. Like it really does go on and on and on forever. One thing is for sure, dogs sure do like to breed. They're into it. They're wild about it. They're all about it. Now, anyone who knows me well will know that I'm a big animal lover. I love most animals. Not spiders, though. If you know anything about me, it's that I'm horribly arachnophobic. But other than spiders, I love animals enough that I'm not going to mention the shittest dog breeds because they're still beautiful little friends and I don't want them to hear my negative opinions if my podcast is playing within earshot. Okay, so we're going to skip that bit. There's no need to specify. There's no need to, there's no need to name and shame. Even the shittest dog breeds are still better than non-dogs, if that's any consolation to any shitter dog breeds that are listening and know that they're a shitter dog breed. I'm going to briefly mention some of the main ones that make me smile, though. Uh, my family is very much a Maltese cross Shih Tzu family. Like, my immediate family aren't these dogs, but they have had many of them over the years. They're definitely some of my favourites, even though they're quite yappy if left to their own devices. It's funny how one bad experience can really stick in your brain, too, like with anything. You know when people are thinking of names for their baby and everyone has an opinion? Nah, the class bully in year nine was called Kate. Don't call your baby Kate. That is actually true. In my school year, there was a Kate who was an absolute menace. Don't call your baby Kate. The reason I mentioned that, though, is because when I was a kid, I knew someone with a corgi and it used to hump my leg all the time. And as such, I've never been able to hold court with a corgi since. And I'm sure the majority of them are perfectly harmless and incredibly disinterested in getting to know my leg better. But just the, whenever I look at one, I, I, I'm just like, oh, God, like it just takes me straight back to Frank just aggressively gripping my leg and going for it. A great story about a small dog, though, is when I was in year one, my best friend at the time, Michelle, had a chihuahua called Wanda who was terrified of storms. And one day there was a huge storm at lunchtime, like massive. Um, I grew up in Canberra and if any Canberrans are listening, um, I'm sure you'll be able to vouch for the fact that very few places do electric storm like Canberra does, particularly in the middle of the day. And I've got that on no authority. I'm sure many places are very good at electric storms, but what I'm trying to say is that there's cracking storms in Canberra and, and one day there was a particularly huge one and Wanda, this tiny chihuahua, so Michelle's tiny, tiny chihuahua, chewed a corner off the sliding door in their house and managed to get out of the house and run to our school. Remember what a fun time it was when a dog came to school? Like it was the best day ever, whenever any dog arrived but if you knew whose dog it was, it was like the most exciting thing in the world. So Wanda absolutely made our day with her terrified antics in the middle of a very massive storm. I also like pugs. Um, I do like pugs. I like Wanda the Chihuahua. I also like pugs. Their around-the-clock sleep apnea concerns me deeply, but I love them nonetheless. I'm all for anthropomorphizing animals. Like, I can't help it. 
I'm always like, oh, look at Fergie, like Fergie's our cat. And I'm like, look at Fergie, she's so cranky. And like, she's not. She's just about to go to sleep, so her brow's a bit furrowed. And I'm like, oh, she's angry, look at her angry face. And like, I think her hearing me calling her angry over and over actually just eventually makes her angry. (laughs) She's like, I'm trying to sleep, shut up. But I love doing that. We're really, she's just got a regular cat face on. Anyway, because I'm so into anthropomorphizing animals, I love that pugs always look worried. I mean, I'd like to help them with whatever they're bothered by, but I think it's so cute that they're always deeply concerned. They're like, what the devil's going on in here? Like whenever they run into a room, they're just like, huh, what's happening? Oh, something terrible's happening in here. Like that's exactly how they look. When I look at pugs now, I like to think that they've just read the news about Ellen not being as kind as she lets on. Just like, oh, oh man, she always ends her show by saying, be kind. And it turns out she's awful to everybody in the office. Like, that's what their faces look like. I think small dogs are ideal because they don't need much space and also their poos are small. If you have to pick up someone else's poo, the smaller the better, in my opinion. I'd like to have a small dog so I can pop it in a basket on the front of my bike that doesn't exist yet. Um, the bike does, but the basket doesn't. But like, I'd like to get a bike with a basket on the front and then pop my pet small dog in that basket and take it for spins up and down the beach. I reckon they would love it, just the wind in its fur. I passed this guy, maybe this is where the inspiration came from, I passed this guy regularly in St Kilda who rides a longboard and has a small dog wrapped around his shoulders every time I see him. I would like to be him but on a bike as I lack the coordination to not kill the small dog and myself on a longboard. Me coming off a longboard will be a swift way to learn the splits. Now, we've touched on some ripper small dogs There are loads out there and they all have significant virtues and so much to offer. But of course, we're here today to determine the best small dog, objectively speaking, right? It's always objective, just what's an objective truth. This is not my opinion. So without any further delay, let's get into it. The definitive, uncontested, best of all the small dog breeds is... The Chihuahua. Congratulations, Chihuahua. Now, particularly the long-haired variety. Even more specifically, my friend's long-haired Chihuahua, Captain Charlie. He's the best. Look him up on Instagram, Charlie the Chihuahua. But Chihuahuas, they're so tiny. They're so compact. They're really, really small and they can be cuddly. I prefer the cuddly kinds. Sometimes they smell like babies too. They also have tiny little poos and they're ideal if you live in a small apartment. Now, congratulations to gymnastics and chihuahuas for taking out the titles of best summer Olympic sport to watch and best small dog respectively. That concludes another very important episode of The Best. Thank you so much for tuning in and also for reviewing and subscribing to the podcast. Um, so many people have signed up and so many people have said really nice things on social media about the pod and um, that's what I want it to be. I want it to be lighthearted and fun and I want you to enjoy it and to get your friends to tune in and have a listen as well.
As always, a massive extra special shout out to the Patreon subscribers, your absolute legends who are making all of this work possible during these um, difficult times. And if you'd like to sign up for as little as $3 a month, you can find me at www.patreon.com forward slash Kirsty Wiebeck. You can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at at Kirsty Wiebeck. You are all absolute legends. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget that it's actually all of you who are the best. Catch you next time for another episode. Take care out there. Mm-hmm.